Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm joined by Matt Cameron and Hepsi Pemberton. Matt launched LGBT Great in 2017 with a vision to create LGBT plus inclusion within the global investment industry. Throughout the development of insights, visibility and outreach, LGBT Great's mission is to profile and attract a thousand LGBT plus and ally individuals for the sector in five years. In 2015, he co-launched the Ocean Partnership, a recruitment and inclusion firm dedicated to the investment industry. And his team partners with many, many international firms to help increase people diversity and encourage the adoption of a more inclusive cultures. Matt, welcome to the show. Hello. Hepsi Pemberton is an entrepreneur and angel investor who believes in the power of good business to transform society. Having previously built and sold the buy-side recruitment firm Kia Consultants and established a social enterprise Kiteka in Uganda, she is now focused on increasing diversity in leadership positions with the Equality Group. Equality Group harnesses the power of diverse leaders across the finance, technology and social impact sectors helping companies attract, retain, and develop diverse executive talents. Hepsi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Matt, welcome to the show. Uh, So it's been a year since you launched LGBT Great, and I'm really interested in what statistics and findings have led you to validate the need for that initiative. Yeah. Hello. Well, just got to say, start off by saying how delighted I am actually to be invited in. So thank you for having me. Um, But I guess... um, LGBT Great really came out a bit of a, a, a premonition, really, based on my own experience of being within the investment industry. Um, so I came to the city in 2009. I'm originally from Blackpool, um, sort of single parent family, first in the family to go to university. Um, I'm also gay. Um, I went to the University, university of Birmingham um, and did my degree there before coming down to London. And at the time, I think that the city was a very different place um, in comparison to what it is today. Um, and certainly, my first sort of three years of working with the investment industry, for me, was a bit of a, a bit of an eye opener in terms of how um, undiverse and also uninclusive um, the industry was. Um, and I guess that was really sort of based on the fact that the culture within the sector um, really was a little bit behind. And I think the majority, or the reason why that is actually, is because a lot of the industry was the same. So. I guess I sort of felt fairly sort of isolated, fairly disconnected. Um, I hid who I was for quite a long time, the amount of meetings that I would go to and talk about, you know, my girlfriend and, and all the rest of it. And I just basically felt like I had to fit in. Um, in short, I was outed um, sort of accidentally. Um, and that led me to basically biting the bullet and basically coming out for the, for the person um, that I was. And that had a big impact on how I felt when I was at work, actually. And from then, sort of then on inwards, my career rocketed because people started to buy in to me because I was being authentic. So I guess with, I guess, my experience of the industry, um, some of the things that are the themes that I recognised um, when we were sort of setting the LGBT Great project up was that actually there's, there's actually more LGBT people within our industry than we realise. The point is we can't see them. And the reason we can't see them is because they're not necessarily out um, and they're not visible. The second theme was that I'd built a lot of relationships with people who were like me, um, LGBT. um, And from getting to know them, um, it was actually quite apparent that they were considering to look at opportunities outside of the sector in search for cooler, more inclusive sectors. And the third dynamic is as talking from my my recruiter hats here, is we are looking for the first time ever now into a new pool of talent 
um, particularly when it comes to uh, that future talent that we need within businesses. So we're competing for talent within the technology sector, for example. And when we go to LGBT communities of talent outside of the industry, there's a, a big hesitancy and a lack of awareness around what our industry actually does. And the impact of that means that they don't consider our industry as an attractive place to work. Um, I guess in, in sort of uh, building on that sort of that theme, there was a, a number of research at the time which was sort of coming out, um, which basically proved that LGBT diversity within an organisational context um, actually means that the company is able to outperform those that do not. And I'm talking about specifically about the Credit Suisse um, ESG research here. Uh, and they basically analysed 270 companies that either had a component of LGBT management, um, been voted in a potential survey, um, or have a network and basically outperformed the custom benchmark by about 3%. Uh, in addition to that, um, what I was noticing as well is that LGBT acceptance is gradually growing within the UK. There's more people than ever before now identifying as LGBT. So up from 1.7 in 2015 to 2% 2 in 2016, based on the Office of National Statistics, which means that there's a growing pool of talent for the investment industry if it's able to attract it. And just a, a final point on this theme, um, I've spent a lot of time re researching over the years about the, the cognitive richness that LGBT talent can bring to business. And this is based on the, sort of the fact that LGBT people have very, very high levels of all of the qualities that, that feed into inclusive leadership. So I'm talking about empathy, uh, emotional intelligence, uh, agility, um, the, the ability to engage a team. So there's research coming out of the States, for example, that actually says that teams managed by gay managers have a 56% higher uh, level of engagement within their team, which boosts performance. So in short, there's a huge opportunity in terms of a growing talent pool. Um, there's a, a sector that's got a reputational image problem. Um, and I think if we can bring those two themes together, there's a great opportunity for LGBT to be really great for our industry. And, and, and I completely agree with that because I've talked a lot on the show about, you know, as a woman who basically spent most of my career going, please don't ask me what I did at the weekend. And, and actually relatively recently has come out. Uh, so everything you talk about that completely chimes with, with my personal experience kind of in, in the city as well. And there's definitely the sense that the shift, the city has shifted sort of quite considerably. And and I'm really interested, sort of, Hepsi, you know, because your career started uh, during uh, sort of when Lehman Brothers, or you were at Lehman Brothers, I understand, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so now you're heading up your own consultancy firm, advising how to attract and retain diverse uh, talent. To what degree, if you look back on the sort of the last uh, decade, to what degree do you think the financial services industry has, has changed? And, and what should we be celebrating as a notable positive shift? Yeah, I think there has, I think there has been some, some positive change. I think you can see quite a lot of change at the junior sort of graduate intake levels. I know there've been a number of the large investment banks have been um, putting out some clear targets for 50-50 intake classes, uh, Goldman and JP Morgan amongst them. So that's that's a real positive. Um, we're then going to have to see how that actually gets pulled up through the middle ranks and promoted up to the top. We've also seen good progress actually at the very senior levels at, in, at the board. So the 30% club, I think was started in 2010 by Dame Helena Morrissey. And we, we achieved that this year, 30% of, of, of women on, on the board for financial services. And that really came about from getting all of the, 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 the chairman champions on board um, very early on and building from there. So, so I think there's been some good successes at the very top and at the very bottom. I think there's still a number of challenges in the middle. I still think there's a lot of challenges in terms of actually the C-suite and the, the executive level leadership. And that's where we're particularly focused at equality group. I mean, would we have seen anything quite so radical as, you know, 
sisters being added to Lehman Brothers. I don't know, but um, I think there I think there've been some 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 good changes. I think there's still a, a huge amount still to do, but definitely some positive momentum. Oh, and what are your clients particularly thinking about when they think about the uh, the executive level and the diversity in the executive level? Uh, what are they What are they charging you to go and find? Is it is it as as, as keen a brief as going find me more people who uh, are like this or is it just help us with our mix yeah it's it, it's both and so there's definitely uh, searches we've been brought in with a very a, a very clear um scope of we need to we are an all-male team and, and we need to get some women on board you know just as a starting point um, I've definitely had uh, searches that are just around eth- ethnicity specifically, but but really I and prefer. And you're getting more more requests like that yes, on, on the ethnic minority yes, representation. Yeah, definitely, which is good because I think that's needed. I think for you know the conversation I think started a lot around gender, and um, probably that's a good place to start with the sort of fifty fifty mix. But it's definitely not where it should end. And so I might you know what I like to do is actually not just have a limited scope of one type of diversity. I, I like to look at diversity fully across the board. My my focus for clients is to get them the very, very best high performing candidate who also brings diversity into the team. We're also very interested in mapping out cognitive diversity. So how do you look at the data around that and then build on that as you're adding new talent to a team? So looking more than just skin deep. Um, So uh, yeah, as much as possible, we want to be sort of broad and then specific rather than specific and then try and go broad. So that's, that's, I think you get better results that way around, but of course, you know, client is king. And so we'll, we'll try and work with them in terms of what they think they need. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe in a few years time, we'll be saying the client is also the queen, queen. as well. Yeah. <laughs> the is queen. You, but it is, it is I interesting. I should start saying that. That would be great. Actually. That's <laughs> very queen. appropriate for this table, isn't it? Client is queen. Yeah. Right, queen. Straight, straight <laughs> yeah. I think there's a sense of um, sort of panic requests as well in the industry at the moment in that yeah. we are so behind the mix. Um, there's increasing pressure now coming from the government around gender diversity. So what I've sort of s- started seeing, it, there's there's real sort of momentum internally around setting up internal teams, recruitment teams, that are focused exclusively on mapping out all of the diverse candidates um, that are in the industry, um, which I mean, sort of two minds as well as I sort of a, a agree with that. And I think the, the problem is there's not enough diversity in the sector. So moving one person to another firm it really is a short-term fix for the firm. And what I guess what we're trying to do, and I think what, what I'm hearing from from you as well, um, Hepsi, is that actually it's more about actually how can we leverage or leverage talent from unconventional places? And how can we start thinking a bit more broadly? Um, but it's a very difficult thing to do when you have got, you know, the, the client who is king or, or queen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've one of the things that we do um, quite early on in search is think around the scoping of a role because so often there's a lot of like for like hiring and that yes. like for like hiring can also translate into, okay, let's find the diverse c- candidates that are basically doing this job. Whereas what I like to do is break down the skill set and say, what is the absolute must have yeah. and where can we look for flex and where can we be creative and where can we go and find some of that talent from maybe uh, you know other uh, subsectors or industries or where can we look for that skill set in areas that you haven't looked before and that that has actually been quite successful so the more that we can do that the more that we can also be pulling in new talent into the into the industry and and I think when it comes to finding sort of more junior talent there seems to be it feels like there's a slight shift of people going okay so we don't necessarily need Oxford and Cambridge graduates with the first but actually looking into uh 
schools and universities uh, right the way across the UK. And, and exactly as you were saying, Matt, about you know, kind of let me explain what the industry is all about because there's this probably that disconnect as well. Um, and I'm just interested in the dynamic between at a board level, particularly if you look at the FTSE 100 companies, they may well be more uh, open-minded to finding senior execs from other industries. And if we're finding younger talent that sort of come from different diverse pools as well, uh, what's going to happen in the middle? Do you think that the middle managers will will feel threatened by that? Or do you think they'll be open-minded to, I'm going to welcome into my team somebody who actually doesn't understand the investment industry necessarily? Hepsi, let me come to you first. Thoughts. Yeah, it, it is it is challenging to do that because typically at that middle manager level, you're just looking for sort of pure execution power, like you know what you're doing and you can hit the ground running. There's also a lot of promotion that's just happening internally as well. So I think that it, it is the most challenging part of a team to bring in fresh talent to, or it's a lot of lateral movement between the same old names. I think one of the things that I I think has offered new potential there is sort of a successful returner programs, especially around the the gender diversity point. So um, getting women back into the industry that might have left and typically actually them having to miss a few years, but coming back in at that middle manager level, that's where you can often see some good new talent coming in and helping to shift the the numbers, but also the culture. And and looking sort of more internationally as well, just thinking about, I mean, you both, you both have a really fascinating sort of international perspectives. I mean, Hepsi, from, from your uh, previous entrepreneurial work in, in Uganda, and also Matt, because you, you, you have clients all over the world as well. Um, any examples of uh, best practice you've seen in other places uh, or anything we could be learning from other experience elsewhere? Matt, let me come to you first of all. I mean, as you talk to your clients around the world, what what is there is is there a regional focus that we should be embracing over here? Yeah, so I think that the biggest momentum when it comes to LGBT inclusion is definitely going to be from the West. So that's predominantly going to be centred out of London, Europe, um, but also um, New York as well. And that's where a lot of the conversations are happening. Um, there are some really good things coming through. So there's, for example, a lot of firms now looking at how they can develop parity within sort of employment policies. So have we got equal policies for transgender people, for example? Do we have um, the same policies that are available to heterosexual people, available to same-sex couples? Um, so there is a, there is... You know, there is some of that happening, I'd say, within the larger firms. They're slowly but surely getting up to speed. Um, there are some making sort of visible noises of LGBT as well. So last year was the first time that the investment industry embraced Pride um, here in London. Uh, it was also endorsed by the Investment Association as well, which was a real change from, you know, times gone before. Um, so there is that sort of drive now to start what I would say talking the talk. Um, and I think that's kind of the where the industry is at the moment. I think we're a little way off walking the talk. Um, but certainly there's some really positive things coming out of the UK. Um, there's three asset managers at the moment that are aligned, specifically large asset managers that have aligned to an LGBT focused charity, just like us, who LGBT greats are also working with as a partner. And they're focused on developing support for young LGBT students uh, in university and schools and helping them access opportunities. So that's something and that is that particularly here in the, in the UK? It's UK. It's yeah. UK, yeah. Um, but we are keen to sort of take the message um, sort of further. I think there are obviously international challenges which are driven by either geographical, political, social, or sort of even religious um, sort of themes which act as barriers um, to LGBT inclusion overall. So 
I probably don't need to say the stats, but, you know, it's still illegal in 72 countries. You know, it was 74 until earlier this year. There's been some recent momentum in India with obviously uh, legalisation, etc. Um, but, you know, I read recently, for example, that, you know, students in Hong Kong in particular, um, just to give you an example, and this is a big, diverse city, are facing a real stigma on a daily basis when it comes to um, engaging with employers. Um, and I think to give you an idea of the social situation there, you know, the, the welfare system is, is predominantly delivered by um, sort of NGOs, which often has religious and sort of Christian affili- affiliations. So the impact of that is that it's, there's quite a negative sort of social uh, perspective of LGBT. So if you've got that in society, it is going to be realised as well. Unfortunately, it's going to be mirrored um, within business as well. So, you know, one size certainly doesn't fit all. I think the fascinating thing there is, is when I talk to global heads of diversity and inclusion for some of the largest financial institutions in the city is, is actually, I will start asking them actually about how do they take their existing policies in the UK and then make sure that the, those standards, if you like, and those principles are driven out globally as well, which is really interesting. And, and Hepsi, from your time in Uganda, I mean, working with women in business as well, um, I mean, it, the empowerment of, of women, I, I sit on the board of a charity, does a lot of work in Africa, and, and it just constantly impresses me about how any enterprise, however small or, or whether it's an NGO, that can harness the enthusiasm and the energy and the power of women in, in its community mm-hmm. can really drive change as well. And I'm fascinated in, in your insights from, from yeah. your time there. Yeah, well, the great thing about investing in in women is that there is a multiplier effect. So that investment in them then is invested in their children, their families and their local communities. And that's certainly what we've seen with Kateka, which is all about creating access to technology and digital skills, because ultimately we live in a digital world. It's very much a digital future. And and, um, as often happens, women are being left behind and especially the world's poorest women. So women at the bottom of the pyramid, not even having access to the most basic of technology, um, which, you know, one of those handy pieces is a smartphone. So we simply started by creating access to, to smartphones on loan that women, um, you know, running small businesses could pay back on an interest-free basis and then giving them training, business training and basic digital training, digital skills training alongside that. And I've seen some fantastic impact um, as a result of of, of that program. So women um, increasing their earnings by about 40% within 12 months, being able to pay for their children's education or save up for um, one of their children's university education for the first time, being able to actually move into some accommodation that um, everyone has a bed and can sleep. <laughs> um, so, so some really, some really, some really great stories that have come out of that. And, and we continue to do that work. And I have a small team in Kampala that, that run the program. So we've worked with about 315 women at this point. And we're continuing to build on the digital skills training, specifically around digital marketing, because um, that seems to be something that our women show great aptitude for doing. Not only do they promote their their, their businesses, their local businesses, but they're also developing skill sets so that they can work with other businesses and earn additional income as online workers, which is fantastic. So, so unlocking so new revenue streams. Completely. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. But we see really the success of the project has relied upon some of the things that I think all of the conversations we're having around DNI rest upon, which is, you know, role models, mentoring, training, and, and, and that strength of the peer group and having a, a strong peer group that can support you and that you can be learning and developing with. One of the, my favorite startups in Africa is a, a business called Andela, and they've been doing some amazing work on locking the, um, 
IT talent, especially around coding and engineering talent from within Africa. So sourcing the top 1% of engineering talent, putting them on an accelerated training program over four years and getting to work with some of the largest tech businesses whilst they hone their skills and develop as, as engineers. And then they get offered full-time opportunities off the back of that. And, and is that for African-centred uh, businesses or is that on No, it's international scale? businesses wow. that they work with, the Microsofts, the Skypes, the Googles, but they harness African engineering talent and they've just invested heavily in the training and the upskilling of that talent. And then they managed to get this in the incredible international careers within one of the most competitive industries, which is, was, and, you know, it's an incredible initiative. They've raised huge amounts of money. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg invested directly and they've just done another 40, 50 million rounds. So um, I think that upskilling point is, is essential to look at and something that we also need to be seeing more of in the financial services industry if we're going to see the true diversity of talent. Wonderful. And I think that's a great moment to uh, turn to Cynthia and Robert for some research to support today's discussion. Inside and Out is designed to help LGBTQ plus students who are graduating in either 2021 or 2022 develop an understanding of the investment banking sector while addressing any concerns they may have in relation to being LGBTQ plus in the workplace. This is an initiative of the Interbank Forum, an industry-wide group focusing on promoting career opportunities in corporate and investment banking. In 2018, the Investment Association published Bringing Our Whole Selves to Work, the organisation's first report into the LGBT plus experience in asset management, which sets out some key steps organisations can take to create more inclusive workplaces, such as... Demonstrating that the firm is welcoming of LGBT plus employees during the recruitment and induction process. Considering intersectionality so that all aspects of the LGBT plus agenda are valued equally. Encouraging heterosexual and cisgender colleagues to participate in LGBT plus networks and events to show LGBT plus colleagues that they have allies within the organisation. And finally, ensuring firms with foreign offices are aware of local laws and social attitudes towards LGBT plus people and considering how to support and protect employees around the globe, especially those who have to work or travel to countries where being LGBT plus is still illegal. Thanks, Cynthia and Robert. And links to the research can be found on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. And don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S. And that's where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod. And Diversity Podcast is available on Bright Talk and all good podcast channels. And we'd love a rating because it all helps to promote the show. So coming back to our discussion earlier, uh, we, I mean, we've got off as many different directions, which has been wonderful. I, I'm thinking a lot about intersectionality at the moment, and particularly picking up on something you were saying, Matt, about going out globally and thinking about the implications of race in society, and particularly for young talent that's coming through, uh, LGBT plus talent particularly, and the dynamic there. Is how do, how do organisations go out and support that talent into the workplace? And lo sort of love your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think intersectionality offers a, a really huge opportunity, actually, for our industry. Um, and I think the, the, the problem that we sort of kind of have with the diversity and inclusion world is that everyone's put into categories, um, which gets in the way of what I, I sort of call allyship, um, in that we all sort of 
you know, view each other based on certain sort of categories. Um, I guess in terms of LGBT Great, what we're trying to do is, is really create this um, real momentum with our sort of Project 1000 to make visible the, the diverse talent that exists in our industry. So with LGBT or allied talent. Um, and as, as part of that, we're working with a number of um, sort of BAME role models, for example, um, either allies or LGBT, um, and actually using their stories as real beacons to people outside of the industry to say, you know, look, diversity does exist in our industry. You know, BAME is a particularly difficult um, area for our industry on the basis that approximately 1% only, uh, of, sorry, of fund managers only are, are, are black. So there's a real, real difficulty. I think things that investment managers can do is actually looking at recruitment processes to actually look at how what are the barriers to us getting the talent in? And I think there's a big stigma there around a lot of particularly, you know, black candidates don't have access to the opportunities. They, you know, typically come from lower sort of social economic backgrounds, which means they, they, you know, they, they fall at the first hurdle when it comes to a recruitment process. Um, so we are sort of seeing some firms now drop um, assessment criteria um, and we're actually seeing, starting to see some some great new initiatives like Talk About Black, for example, as part of the diversity project that's actually going out to, um, you know, the local communities and actually talking about and showcasing um, you know, wonderful people in our industry that are are young, that are black, and actually telling their story and saying, actually, we are open. We are open to you. Come and talk to us. Um, there's a great initiative called Investment 2020, and I would another one of my uh, pieces of advice would be to all firms. You know, if you are looking for, you know, new and diverse emergent talent, uh, they're doing some amazing work at the moment, reaching out to schools, universities, um, and looking, you know, to break those barriers when it comes to recruitment practices. So. They basically are doing some awesome work and have placed some amazing diverse candidates into the industry. I would also say there's, uh, a, a, you know, still uh, from certainly research we've done at Equality Group, a, a level of institutional racism that's out there. And um, from from the survey that that we conducted with over two thousand young people, you know, fifty eight percent of uh, the the BAME uh, young people are told to be more realistic about their career goals. And just over 50% are told to actually pursue a different career to the one that they they wanted to. And so, was your research focused on the city, particularly in financial services as so a technology? Was, you know, it was focused on UK industry broadly. It wasn't just focused on financial services, but I would imagine one of the careers that they will have been told to be more realistic about would be financial services and technology. Yes, as some of the, you know, sort of bigger industries and most attractive career opportunities. Because what we we, we see within the the the, the the BAME community, or I prefer to say Black heritage or Asian heritage communities is uh, hugely aspirational and hardworking um, young people coming through. And what they really need are, as Matt was saying, the role models and the opportunities and the networks and the access. Um, and so that I think there's a huge opportunity for the businesses that want to create that to um, reap, reap the rewards. And, and they're thinking about some of the younger executives who are on their career journeys as well, who are already in those organisations. I think one of the most warm, heartwarming things that I see a lot of actually is how uh, they're actually giving a hand down to help people up and into organisations and, and kind of mentoring them and, 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 and nurturing them through the process, if you like. Do we think that's going to continue up to board level? Are we going to see it? But that could take a long time. It can take a long time, but I think, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, that. 30% club started in 2010, eight years later, it had happened. So I think we just need good intentions and clear targets and then to set to work. So I think we need to see that happening. Uh, you know, we, we need a similar club for um, BAME, 
board level representation. We need it for C-suite, executive and for junior intake. It needs to be across the board. And it's, it's possible. It's totally possible to do it. And, and even put some, some numbers around it. Put so some numbers some, around if you it. you measure it, you care about uh, it. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these things it can happen as, as quick or as, as long as sort of firms want to make it really. Yeah. Um, there are some great organisations out there that are really well equipped to provide some practical action right now. It just depends whether the firm are, are going to do it. Yeah. Um, so my advice, I'm sure, is your Hepsi as well, is just get on with it and do it. <laughs> Which sounds like a great, great, great clarion call as we end the show Don't today. Talk, do. Exactly, exactly. And what I love also is just as I we spend time with kind of the young talent coming in is you know they're not without ambition. You know there's an incredible wave of ambition and, and particularly looking at the um, the results of some of those the, of the of the students as they're coming into the business. I think it's a, it's a shame not to harness that. In fact, it's almost madness. Coming back to your point at the very beginning about you know the impact of diversity and why it really matters and it's it's ability to draw performance because obviously particularly in financial services it is all about performance either to investors or indeed uh, to uh, to shareholders and ultimately to customers and it's been the most incredible conversation i have to say i've really really enjoyed it thank you both so much for joining us today thank you thank you thanks for having us this episode of diversity podcast was produced by me kieran yates on behalf of julia streets productions Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Roy Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening. 